here. Thank you so much for inviting me to share for you tonight. And um, my name's Izzy and I'm an alcoholic. <clears throat> Very grateful to be in this incredible, incredible fellowship. And, um, you know, I, I wanted to just to reread those three pertinent ideas that we were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives that probably no human power could have re relieved our alcoholism and that God could and would if he were sought. And I just want to read from page 57 as well. What is this but a miracle of healing? Yet its elements are simple. Circumstances made him willing to believe. He humbly offered himself to his maker. Then he knew. Even so has God restored us all to our right minds. To this man, the revelation was sudden. Some of us grow into it more slowly, but he has come to all who have honestly sought him. When we drew near to him, he disclosed himself to us. And um, my sobriety date is November the 21st, 2004. So... In November, I just celebrated 18 years in this fellowship and um, what a journey, <laughs> what an amazing journey it's been. I've had some of the happiest times I could ever possibly have imagined and some of the hardest and most challenging times and um, through the grace of God and working these steps into my life, because this is a program for living. Um, I, you know, I haven't had to pick up a drink and uh, that's a miracle for somebody like me who drank on everything. Um, I'll start my from the beginning really of my story. So um, I was one of five children. Um, my mother was Irish Catholic. There seems to be quite a lot of Irish Catholics in, in this fellowship. Um, and my father was a Londoner. Neither of them were alcoholics, but there's definitely alcoholism in my mother's side. I have many relatives in Ireland who I would think would be very happy in these rooms. Um, but my mother definitely suffered from, from some mental illness and uh, she used to go into terrible, terrible rages. And she was only little, but she was, bless her heart, she, whatever she suffered from, it made her very, very violent towards my father. And um, so within the four walls, it was pretty crazy at home. Um, but outside of our home, it was like, put your lipstick on and we're fine. Thank you very much. And I learned to do that. And um, we all used to go to church together on a Sunday. And um, I just... You know, I just remember feeling very confused as a child and very, very fearful and just not feeling part of at all. And um, anyway, my father eventually left and um, because things had got so bad at home. I mean, my mother nearly killed him a few times and, and that's not no joke. I'm not minimizing that at all. And we witnessed things that we shouldn't have witnessed as children. And um, and it was kind of unknown then, um, a, a woman beaten upon a man. And I was going to a Catholic school, so, um, you know, nobody's parents ever split up when I was young. So as when my father left, I became very dishonest about where he was. 
I was, you know, telling people he was working late or whatever, because I was embarrassed that he'd left. And also there was something in me that thought that I wasn't good enough. And I realized that my two sisters felt the same who were still at home at that time. My elder sister left home and my brother went into the army to get away from, from the craziness of the home. And um, I still have my faith, but um, what happened for me was I started really praying that my dad would come home and he never came home. And so that was like a strike against God. <clears throat> and then my sister, who was um, a couple of years older than me, so when she was 16, she decided to leave home, much to my mother's dismay. And she kind of got in with a bit of a crazy crowd and um, she got quite rebellious. And we all went on holiday to Ireland uh, without her. Mum wanted her to come, but she didn't want to come. And so we went off to Ireland and we came back and my sister was in intensive care. She'd apparently taken an, over, an accidental overdose. And I just remember praying and praying to God and asking God that, you know, she would be okay. And she died. So that was the day that I turned my back on God. I just thought, you don't care about me. You don't care about my family. <clears throat> and that was when I really, really... Um, got rebellious myself. That was when I started drinking. That was when I started smoking. My father had left, so my mum, bless her, didn't really know how to control us as children. And by age 16, um, I came out of school. I went to a convent school. I'm, I'm amazed I wasn't expelled. But um, I flew to France. I had two O-levels. That was all I came out of school with. Art and RE, religious education, funny enough. But uh, I flew over to France to my brother's best friend who owned a hotel. And little did I know that he was an alcoholic. And I worked over there for a while. I loved the way they drank in France. So my drinking went through the roof there. And I befriended a woman who I look back now, who was definitely an alcoholic as well. And um, she used to take me out all over the place in her car, drinking and driving and, you know, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And um, my brother's friend who owned that hotel, financially and material wise, he had absolutely everything. But I came back home and after a couple of years, I found out that he'd shot himself in the head. And I remember thinking, why would he do that? And not understanding alcoholism, even though my alcoholism was going through the roof at that time. Um, but I understand it now because he didn't have the gift to find in what we have when we come into these rooms and find recovery. And um, it doesn't matter what job you do, how much money you've got, you know, what you look like, any, it doesn't matter what race you're from, what religion you're from. Um, if you're going to have this illness, you're going to have this illness. And um, it's um, it's a great leveller when you come into AA. And, um, you know, that's what I found since I came into the rooms, that um, it's the only place I know where there's no judgment. Everybody wants you to do well. 
that you know we don't have to be on our own anymore and um and i i just i love that i love that about the rooms i when i was a few months sober i went to a meeting in london and i was really scared of going there on my own and finding a meeting and i just remember going into this meeting and i was early and there was a great big bloke sat there and um i just went oh hello and he was like welcome home you know and um and when when the room started filling up, there was a guy who couldn't even hold a cup of tea and he was in a terrible state. He'd obviously fell off a park bench and um, and there was people in pinstripe suits talking very posh. And the love that I felt in that room blew me away. And I'd never experienced anything like that. I'd never experienced that at church when I was young. Nowhere else have I experienced that. And I just love AA. So rewinding, I came back to England from France and um, as, as is what happens when we have this illness, it progressed and it got worse. I was in a relationship that was extremely violent and I blamed that for the way that I drank because when I drank, I wasn't scared. And I mean, we'd get into physical fights as well as, you know, the, the verbal abuse. Um, and it was funny enough, it was a verbal abuse that hurt me more than the the, the hits. But um, and um, finally, finally, I'd, I'd leave that relationship and then I'd go back and then I'd leave and then I'd go back. And it was one of the times that I'd left and I was staying with some friends and um, I got into the car after drinking way too much the night before, scraped the ice off the windscreen and jumped in the car and I was age 24 and I hit a lorry head on and they told my mother I'd be dead on arrival and I was trapped in the car for four hours and uh, while I was in the car I you know I was out of it and then when I started to come around I couldn't see anything because there was glass in my face um, I remember somebody saying the car's going to catch fire and I cried out to God in that moment and I just said please God don't let me die like this and um, the next thing somebody was spraying the car with a fire extinguisher and and the next thing i came around i was in intensive care and you know that's i love that line where it says when we drew near to him he disclosed himself to us and um and that's certainly true for me and um and i realized that even though i had no or i didn't think i had faith Whenever I got into scrapes, I would always, always cry out to God and he would always help me out of my messes. Um, I remember going on holiday to Ibiza with a partner and um, really intending to stay sober the night before flying home. I didn't like flying and I hated flying with a hangover. But of course, we went out for that one drink and um, the next thing I know, it's four o'clock in the morning. We've finished the 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 mini bar in the room as well and we were we had to be up at six o'clock in the morning and my head was throbbing and I just could barely move off the bed and I was thinking oh no we've got to get the taxi and we've got to go to the airport that takes half an hour and then we've got to fly all the way home and I just felt like I was gonna die and I had all the tickets the passports the money everything in a rucksack which I changed from, I'd, I had a handbag and we bought this rucksack and my boyfriend at the time said to put it in the rucksack. And we were waiting for the taxi and the taxi came and I just remember kind of passing out in the back seat 
and um, you know we finally got to the airport so my boyfriend said oh you know give him a tip and I didn't have the rucksack I'd left it on the pavement outside and it had everything in it I didn't even have a bottle of water and I just started crying and um, my boyfriend went back with the taxi driver and I did hit my knees and I just went please God let that rucksack be there and uh, and it was you know and there were many 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 times like that where I cried out to God and he was there I realized that now I didn't know it at the time I had a lot more uh, pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization to do my, my husband's favorite line in the big book but um, it got worse and it got worse and my life got smaller and I remember age 30 thinking I've got to stop drinking and I started writing diaries and they and I found all these old diaries and it said I think I'm allergic to alcohol I really need to stop drinking and um, but I just didn't know how I tried everything I had every spiritual book I started looking into different things like meditation and Buddhism and all sorts of things I even went on this meditation retreat for 10 days which I completely lied about to get in and they literally meditated for 11 hours a day and I thought I was going to die you weren't allowed to speak on this meditation retreat so I was detoxing from cigarettes and alcohol and drugs and you know just kind of like I couldn't sleep and I was so wired after four days I thought I was going to go crazy then all of a sudden I started to feel better and by the 10th day I didn't want to come home it was just like I had this peace in my head but of course as soon as I got home I picked up that drink it was like oh I'm better now <laughs> and um, and every time I picked that drink up it got worse and worse and worse and it took me till I was 40 to finally finally surrender and um, you know when I think of my behavior when I think of the times when I could have been murdered or I could have crashed the car and killed somebody else or you know without I mean I nearly killed myself but um, it was incredible I and one of the worst times was when I went on another holiday to that island with a, a friend who drank like me and funny enough she was the, the woman who held my hand through the doors of AA and I remember saying to her I don't want to drink this holiday can we just have like a, a, a healthy holiday because I was getting so scared of where the drink was taking me it was like playing Russian roulette I never knew what would happen once I picked that drink up I'd be off and running some crazy place so she said oh okay we won't drink and after just a couple of days we didn't know what to do we didn't know how to speak to each other we were restless irritable and discontent so we went we'll just have one jug of sangria so off we went I just remember buying this jug of sangria we went to a karaoke bar she was great at singing so I was sat watching her can't remember anything after that and the next thing I come round I've split my head open I've got blood everywhere I don't know where I am and I don't know where I've been and my shoes are broken and I was terrified and I went staggering into the hotel which I thought was my hotel and it wasn't and this young couple were really kind they took me into their room they bathed all my head and you know helped me and then I sort of suddenly started to sober up a bit more and, and said this isn't my hotel and off I went 
and uh, finally found my hotel again. I, I swear that God was looking after me again and uh, got back to my hotel and my friend opened the door and just went, where the hell have you been? You know, you look terrible and I can't remember coming home either. And um, and I actually thought I was going to die. I was in bed for two days. I couldn't sit up in bed. I had to call the doctor out. I actually thought I was going to have a brain hemorrhage. I bashed my head so badly. And um, my friend who drank like me just went, you know, your, your drinking's getting, and I just went, I'm going to stop. That's it. This has scared me so much. I am going to stop. And a couple of days later, we're in a bar and I've got a drink in my hand. And she said, I thought you were going to stop. And I went, I'm just going to have one. <laughs> so, you know, the insanity of this illness is incredible and the denial. But there's nothing else I could do because I didn't know there was a way out. I didn't understand my problem. And um, that same friend actually came to AA before I did. And um, her mother died an alcoholic and she kind of knew that, you know, she was heading the same way too. She never once said to me she thought I ought to come. And it was that attraction rather than promotion. But I had a bit more drinking to do yet. So uh, I carried on without her. And then I just woke up this one morning and I remember the night before going out and saying, don't let me go nightclubbing. I just want to go out for a few drinks, but don't let me go nightclubbing. And of course, I ended up going nightclubbing. You can't tell an alcoholic not to do anything. You know, once I got those drinks in, it was like, I'm off. And I just woke up and it was not the physical pain because I got used to the physical pain. It was the pain I felt inside. I was utterly broken. And... Um, I just cried out in that moment and I just went, help me, I can't do this anymore. And I went and picked up the phone and I phoned my friends and I said, can I come to one of those meetings with you? And we went together on that, that Sunday, and um, which was my first meeting in November the 21st, 2004. And I just remember, I didn't think everybody were alcoholics because they all looked so well. Um, everybody seemed to be happy and laughing and I thought well you know what is you know what's this about but of course when people started sharing for the first time I felt part of for the first time I felt people understood where I was at I had many many people who were worried about me who loved me who would call me for, you know call me over particularly my elder sister and she'd say need to talk to you you've got to get help for your drinking but I, you know i didn't know where to go and i i kept thinking well i haven't got my i just need to learn to control it but i didn't know that i was an alcoholic the denial was huge but something happened in that meeting and i didn't feel like anybody was telling me what to do people were just sharing with me their experience of drink what happened and what happened when they found AA and, and what their life was like since coming into AA and I got that marvelous hope that most of us get when we walk through the doors of AA and I just thought I want what these people have got I want it and um, and the ironic thing is that my friend who held my hand through the doors who'd been coming for a while chose to stop coming and um i remember thinking 
oh, you know, what am I going to do now? Because I only ever went to every meeting she went to, and I never really spoke to anybody before or after the meeting. And um, when she decided, you know, she said, I'm not ready, Izzy. She said, I, I, I still want to drink. And um, I thank God that there was something that had happened to me in those meetings that I'd gone to with her that I chose to stay. And um, I said, you know, what do I do? And she said, you need to get a sponsor. And I said, well, how do I get a sponsor? She said, have my old one. <laughs> so actually, I really liked her because her, this woman was really gregarious, you know, and seemed really happy. But boy, oh boy, she was strict with me. And um, she sat me down and she said, are you willing to go to any lengths to get sober? And are you willing to take direction from me? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> you know? And um, but anyway, she was exactly what I needed. And she kept, you know, she just had that way of encouraging me to keep going and to keep going. And the thing was, when I really found out her story, she'd actually come via Al-Anon. She realized that she was starting to sneak her drinks and stuff. So she actually hadn't done much that I thought was anywhere near as bad as what I'd done. And I remember coming up to steps four and five thinking, oh, I think I better change my sponsor because she's going to hate me because I've done some horrendous things. She's going to think I'm terrible. But, you know, there was something in me that thought, if I can do it with her, I truly mean business. You know, I'm going to push through this fear. And I and I'd started doing my steps. So, you know, I'm just going to have a look through the steps because um, it's so important to know what these steps are about. You know, the first word of the first step is we. It's not I. It's a we program. And it's not just we as in the fellowship. For me, it's we, me, all of you and God. And, um, you know, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol that our lives had become unmanageable. You know, I realized that I was completely powerless over alcohol. I thought I had strong will, but actually willpower's got nothing to do with it. It tells me in this book. And um, I, I actually had to, to allow a higher power to come in to run my life because Izzy running my life was nearly killing me. And um, it's not just admitting it, it's accepting it. And I, I realized absolutely that my, you know, my life was completely unmanageable as well. And, um, you know, I'd lost driving license, driving licenses. I drove when I was still drinking, you know, and then I got banned and I'd still drive. You know, I was so blessed that I was never locked up. Um, and, you know, just I'd lose jobs. I'd be in unhealthy, abusive relationships. My life was completely unmanageable. Whatever money I had, I lived in debt all the time. I could never have enough money for drink. You know, it was my life was chaotic, absolutely chaotic. And I, I do believe I completely surrendered because I had to. I had to admit complete defeat if I was going to work the rest of this program. And then step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. You know, I remember looking at that and thinking, well, I don't think I'm insane. <laughs> Until I was reminded of all the things that I did. You know, even after my car accident, when I got a full plaster cast on my right leg because I broke all the bones in my right leg, 
I was so drunk and I still managed to manipulate my male friend to drive his car with my leg in plaster. You know, I could have killed us. But, you know, and thinking it was hilarious and just insane, insane things that, you know, I look back now and I cringe. And um, and I, abs I absolutely had to realise as well that all the times that I should have been dead or I could have killed somebody or I could have been locked up, there was something that was there. And um, when I really acknowledged that, I knew, I knew that God had been there all along, that I chose to turn my back on God, and he was just waiting for me to turn back to him. And, um, you know, as it says in those three pertinent ideas, you know, no human power could relieve my alcoholism, but God could and would if he were sought. And... Um, I've had many, many spiritual experiences since I've been in this fellowship, incredible ones. I'm not going to go into the, the long story of this. Some of you have heard it, but, you know, I actually met the man who saved my life when I had that car crash 31 years later after, after getting married, which was a miracle because I never thought I'd get married. I, I met somebody in the fellowship after being in the fellowship for 10 years. I started to be well enough to have a healthy relationship. And um, and where I live now, where I've never lived before, I got into a conversation with a neighbour and he was the man who saved my life. He was the one who squirted my car with a fire extinguisher when we got talking about accidents. It was just amazing. And God shows me things like that. I went through two in two years. We lost seven people close to us. I lost two of my nephew's wives to cancer. I lost my mum, I lost my brother, I lost my brother-in-law, I lost one of my closest friends, I lost my uncle, My actually my husband lost his mum, you know, and it was like bam, 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 bam. And, you know, through every single one of those, God showed me he was there and, and in intricate detail that I, you know, I haven't got time to share right now, but it is absolutely true. And I did not think about drinking. And that is an absolute miracle for an alcoholic. And um, it also made me more grateful that I'm alive when, you know, I've just done so many awful things to my poor old body and my brain through drinking and drugging and, and, um, and you know, car crashes and everything. And yet I'm still here. And I do believe that God gives us the gift of recovery but I need to nurture that gift because if I don't, I could lose it. You know, if somebody gives you something valuable, you don't just plonk it in a cupboard and shut the door and think, oh, that's lovely and don't do anything with it. You know, this is a gift. This is a program of action. And if I don't do what's suggested, I know what's going to happen. I've seen it too many times. My second sponsor, who I loved dearly, um, we became really good friends and she had two children, two sons, um, ended up becoming obsessed with finding a relationship and, um, and I had to watch her die from this illness and I, I never thought that she was going to die. I truly thought she was going to get it back, but she just couldn't. And, um, you know, that was such a wake up call for me because, um, if I'd have put money on her ever drinking again, I, I would have said she was one of those who wouldn't. So what do I know? All I know is that I've got today. Today's a gift. I've got my recovery 
to focus on or I focus on the problem. You know, every day I have a choice. Every single day I can choose to do this. And when I do what's suggested, I have a beautiful day. Not always easy, and sometimes it can be challenging. But you know, if I let God in, to, to, and Izzy gets out the way, I have a beautiful day. And uh, you know, I've also had to watch my husband go through two major heart surgeries. And um, again, had I not had what I've got through working these steps, through working with others and, and allowing God in my life, I don't know if I could have coped with that, you know? And um, it is like the footprints prayer. I have been carried so many times, so many times. And um, and I, I will never, ever not believe in God. I've had too many experiences to say otherwise. And uh, life can suck sometimes, but that's not God's fault. You know, I used to blame God for everything. Oh, see, you don't care about me. But, you know, half the time it's me. You know, I put myself in a position to be harmed. You know, man does it to man. And um, my faith has changed over the years. For me now, I chose to become a Christian eight years ago. But, you know, that was after 10 years in this fellowship and God came in quickly. And it doesn't matter, but it does tell us to see where religious people are right. And uh, and I've done a lot of ex exploring in, in the faith, <laughs> in the area of faith since coming in. And God came in really quickly, as I say, because I could see that God had always been there when I cried out to him. And then, you know, I made the decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God, as I understand him. I do that every day, every day. And I love the step three prayer. I start my day with my step prayers, the Our Father, the step 11 prayer. And that that gives me a good foundation for my day then. But, you know, the days whenever I've rushed out or I haven't had quite time for praying or I haven't quite said them, I've just kind of said them like a parrot. I, I can feel out of sorts. I have to make sure that I mean what I'm saying. And it's better for me to say one prayer and mean it than 10 and not mean it. You know, I have to feel that connection. And I, you know, if I don't, I don't feel right. It's like plugging my mobile phone in, you know, I'm running on empty, <laughs> I'm gonna go flat. Um, and then step four, major searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. There was stuff that I felt such shame and guilt about and, um, I just remember thinking, gosh, you know, am I going to share all this stuff? And, th and there was stuff I couldn't remember that I'd done. But the fear of drinking was way more scary than actually doing what I needed to do. And I put everything down that I could on paper that I had done. You know, my sex conduct, my fears, my resentments, everything that I could think of. And... I stayed with this sponsor who came via Al-Anon and we went for a day together to a monastery and we sat and she, she heard my step five and I left no stone unturned. I shared everything and I just thought, oh, I just hope she doesn't hate me. <laughs> but, you know, I got the faith to do it and um, and I, I, I just felt exhausted at the end of it. But it was how I felt the next day when I woke up the next day. I felt like I put down the biggest bag of boulders. And for the first time in my life, I started to feel a freedom 
that I'd never felt before. Because I all this stuff that I'd been carrying, I I'd given it to God and my sponsor, and um, you know, and I remember thinking, well, why do we have to do it with somebody else? Can't we just give it to God? But this program is all about humility. It's easy for me to give it to God, but to speak it out to another person. And I, I know that she had to do that with her sponsor. You know, this is how it works. And um, it's a, it, there's something beautiful in doing that. And it's facing that fear and, and doing it. And, um, and that faith coming in that we can, we can all do this. And knowing that we all do this, you know, to get well. And then I had to look at my character defects, you know, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. You know, my biggest one was pride. You know, I'd learned to say I was fine when I so wasn't fine. And, you know, wearing all these masks, which was exhausting by the end of my drinking. I didn't know which mask to wear in the end, you know, and I couldn't bear the look in my eyes. I used to hit the mirror and um and today i have this freedom i'm okay with izzy today i can look myself in the eye and go yeah you're okay you're doing okay and uh, and i've got to remember that you know i'm a vessel for god so if i don't like me i'm saying i don't like god's handiwork i want to be somebody else somewhere else that's how i used to be when i was drinking oh i wish i was fair or i wish i had their life and you know never happy with me or my life today i'm really happy with izzy with her life exactly as it is today it's not perfect you know i have my ups and downs like anybody does but it's a gratitude that i think comes from having years of darkness and despair and hopelessness and then finding the gift of recovery walking into these rooms and and taking what's on offer here and and grabbing it and and then i get the benefit of it and it's i always think it's like walking into a banquet and you've got all this beautiful food you know all these lovely puddings and you know big turkey or whatever and you either partake of that and you eat of it and you enjoy it or you stand on the sidelines and go oh that smells nice oh that looks lovely and not enjoying it you know we either immerse ourselves in doing this stuff or we're not going to get the benefits of it you know for me the people who get well are the people who do what's suggested just like if you're going to jump out of an airplane it's suggested that you pull your parachute cord you know my life depends on this stuff because i was going to die i absolutely know that and if i don't do this i know what's waiting for me i've been to too many funerals and um, I'd much rather go to the funeral of somebody who dies sober than I would of somebody who dies drunk. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. But, you know, we don't, I want to meet my maker sober. I remember in, in the first three months of my recovery, there was a, a young man who, you know, he, he used to go to the regular meeting that I went to. And then he disappeared for a while. And then he came back. Now, it must have been actually about nine months because I hadn't seen him for a while and he came into a meet and he was quite bloated and I always loved what he had to share and I thought oh you know he, he must have put on a bit of weight life's obviously good and he shared that he was dying and that he was going through chemotherapy and you know that's why he was bloated and he just said I want to meet my maker sober and it hit me in my heart and I just thought 
I want what he's got. I want to be brave enough to not have to pick that drink up no matter what, you know, and that's possible if we do what's suggested in these rooms. And it blows me away that as an alcoholic, that is possible, an alcoholic in recovery, you know, and, um, and then we go on to making our amends, you know, and I needed help with that. I needed to sit with my sponsor to make sure, because I thought at first I owed everybody an amends. <laughs> I needed to, you know, but I realized that actually I had to make sure that I wasn't doing it out of my selfishness and thinking, oh, I've got to share everything with everybody. That when I did it, it was to make sure I didn't hurt anybody and that um, I kept the onus on myself, that I just kept my side of the street clean. I was, you know, however badly I thought somebody else might have behaved, it wasn't for me to say, I'm really sorry, but if you hadn't have behaved like that, you know, it was none of that. It was, I am sorry for what I have done and really meaning it. And, um, and you know, I, my amends have been incredible. And it's not just the verbal amends, it's the living amends. You know, I, I became a really decent daughter to my mum. I became a decent daughter to my dad. You know, my dad hadn't really really seen a lot of me because when he left home, I kind of, I realise now I punished him in a way because I, I didn't think he loved me that much. And then I thought I wasn't good enough for him anyway. But when I got into recovery, the one person I was terrified of telling that I was an alcoholic was my dad. And yet he was the proudest of me. And we had eight beautiful years. He, he passed away of um, a lung condition. And the talks I had with my dad were amazing. We talked about God. We prayed together. We, you know, I, I even said, say hello to Melly when, you know, when you, when you go to heaven, because we knew that he was going to go to heaven. I do believe that. I do believe I'll see him again. And to have had that time back that I had the gift of sobriety long enough to make amends to my dad, not just verbally, but, you know, by living my amends. And then the same with my mum, you know, and I learned to forgive my mum. I loved my mum. I always did. However crazy she was, I loved her dearly. And, um, you know, I was able to look after her in her last years before she passed away. And, um, these are gifts that are priceless. I can't put money on those, you know? It's like, I will never forget those things. I will never forget the conversations that I had with my parents before they, they left this earth. And, you know, and I feel them. I feel them, and I know, I know I'll see them again. But to have been sober, to be able to do that, has been amazing. And I also had to watch my younger sister nearly die from this illness. She ended up paralyzed. And um, as a result of drinking, it caused locked-in syndrome and all she could move was her eyes. And I used to go into the hospital and put her head in my hands and I'd cry. <laughs> and I'd go, God's got you and you're going to get through this. And I did believe, because I'm a great believer in the power of prayer, and I would go up to my friends afterwards and we'd sit and we'd pray together. And after nine months, she was walking and talking again. And I do remember praying that she would come into AA, but she never did. But she had a spiritual experience. And so I've realized that I can't pray for what Izzy thinks is the right outcome. I have to pray for God's will. And, you know, my 
youngest stepson, who's 23, he's gone over to Thailand and uh, my hubby and I have been praying. And instead of praying, oh, please, he came into recovery for seven or eight months, had really good recovery and then went, I'm too young for this. <laughs> and, um, you know, he's choosing to still dabble in, in addiction. But I pray now, God, whatever happens, may he come to know you whether that's through the 12 steps or whatever it is, because I don't, I don't want to pray my will anymore. And it took me till I was 40. So why should I force anything or think that I know best for anybody else? You know, I don't even know what's happening in my life half the time. I have to completely trust in God. So why should I think that I know what's best for anybody else? I don't. And, uh, you know, that little saying, let go and let God is such a big one for me. <laughs> I've really had to learn that with my four stepchildren, but I've been really blessed with the relationship that I've got with every single one of them. But yeah, so then we continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, not if we're wrong, it tells me that I'm going to be wrong and I'm wrong quite a bit. When we were wrong, promptly admitted it. And, um, you know, I've really had to look, and it, it, again, it brings it back to humility, you know, the number of times when I've said something, and it's not what I've said, but it's where it's come from, you know, and I've got to say that my youngest stepson has probably been one of the most challenging for me, and there's been a few times where I've lost it with him, I've got really angry with him, and as soon as I feel this anger coming up, I know that I've got to stop, and I go... I'm just going to go into my room and I come into this room, which I call my prayer room and I get down on my knees and I give it to God and I, I just go, sorry, God, for, for where this is coming from. You know, this is not this is not how you would have me behave. And then by the time I go back into the other room to make amends to my stepson, he's already got his arms open for me and we both hug and say sorry. And it's all a result. It's a ripple effect of this program in our home. And it's beautiful. You know, I am blessed because my husband's in recovery too. And, um, you know, so we we have a ripple effect of our alcoholism, but we have the ripple effect of our recovery. And it's beautiful. And I know which one I prefer. And um, then sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understand him, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. You know, um, I've connected with quite a few women over, you know, the years in A, and particularly on Zoom. And um, some of us have set up little prayer groups where we come together and we pray together. I meditate regularly with my husband. And that's why I say never underestimate the power of prayer because we see the answer to prayer over and over and over again. And God heard my prayers even when I wasn't in recovery. So, you know, how much more do we see the results of those when we are in recovery? Because I missed so much when I was drinking. But, you know, God definitely heard me when I cried out to him. But, um, you know, the, the, the number of times that I've had prayers answered. And um, sometimes, like I say, it's not been in the way that I thought it would be, but it's you know, I expect that much from God and he gives me that much. You know, he gives me so much more. He really, really does. And then having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, it can't not happen. 
whether you've had faith and lost it, whether you're whether you're an an atheist or an agnostic, it doesn't matter. Step twelve tells us having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, it will happen. We tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. You know, the chapter on working with others tells me there is nothing that is going to help my recovery more than working with other alcoholics. And to keep this, I have to keep giving it away. And it's such a joy and a privilege working alongside other women who, you know, not everybody makes it. We know that. Not everybody gets it. And um, and I've realised, you know, I remember when I first started sponsoring, if somebody started drinking again, I think, oh, I'm a terrible sponsor. I was so full of self and ego. <laughs> and now it's like, give it to God. All I can do is pass on what, what has been so freely given to me. And it's got nothing to do with me anyway. It's all God. It's God's grace. I truly believe that. And um, I've learned so much more through sponsoring than anything else. And nearly always when I'm sharing something that somebody's struggling with, it's nearly always what I need to be doing myself. Am I practicing what I'm sharing for them to do? <laughs> you know, and my husband says the steps should be in a circle because we continually work them when we're working with others. And um, and it, it just makes our recovery so much stronger. But, you know, I've known people who've come in, worked the steps, gone, great, I'm well, and off they've gone. Don't see them, and the next thing I, I hear that they're drunk. You know, this is this is too precious. This is just too precious to keep to ourselves. And I'm not saying that AA is for every single person. You know, as I say, my sister didn't come into AA and she's sober, but she had a massive spiritual experience, but she nearly died in the worst of circumstances. But, you know, for me, I know this works and it's been working for quite a while now. And I've watched it work in many other people. And I love being in recovery. You know, my husband and I just recently went to a convention in Brighton, you know, and the joy of being in a room full of recovering alcoholics. And when you do the countdown, you know, you've got somebody with one day recovery and the guy with the longest recovery was 55 years. And the two of them went up. I just sobbed because <laughs> it's like this incredible journey is on offer for anybody who wants it. Unfortunately, there's loads of people who need it, but you've got to really want to do this stuff. And when we do want, you know, when we want it badly enough, we realize, you know, when we do do it, we realize that we want to keep doing it because we get the benefits of doing it. And it's a beautiful, beautiful way to live. And I, I can't put into words my gratitude for all that I've been given and continue to be given through working this program into my life on a daily basis and having a God in my life. So anybody who's struggling, I'm excited for your journey. Don't give up. Just keep going until the miracles start to happen. So I think I'll leave it there. I think I've been blabbering on long enough. But thank you so much for listening to me. It's been a, a joy and a pleasure and a privilege to share for you tonight. I'm getting a bit tired now. God bless. <laughs>